Welcome to the Tilted Coaching Podcast and I'm your host, Sheila Walsh. My background is in coaching psychology and organisational consultancy. If it has something to do with people, I'm usually involved and interested, whether it is about personal development, professional development, leadership, relationships, managing or anything else that involves the care of people in some way. A friend of mine encouraged me to do this podcast because he believed that I should bring my insights and my understandings into a really simple bite-sized collection and this is what you have today. I hope you enjoy the Tilted Coaching podcast. Please do rate us if you find it interesting and you can always pop over to our Patreon account to sponsor it. Okay, so welcome to the Tilted Coaching Podcast. Today I'm interviewing and chatting with Donald Clifford about sex addiction. Donald is a counsellor and psychotherapist and he's based in Cork. How are you, Donald? Hi. (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Do you find a lot of people are intrigued by the sex addiction stuff? Uh, Intrigued, yes. Avoidant of it very much. Um, Yeah, yeah. Will you start by telling us what, sex, what you mean by sex addiction or, or what that term means? Because I know a lot of people are like, am I a sex addict if I do this? I'm not a sex addict if I don't do that. What's the kind of understanding of it at the moment? The understanding of it is, I've got to speak very plainly. It's very varied, okay? But I, I suppose the experts out there in the field of sex addiction, sex addiction is very broad. Um, so basically, there's three types of sex addiction. There is sexual compulsion, okay, where having people are having lots of sex. Uh, there's sexual avoidance, okay, and there's sexual binge purge. Now, for me, all of them wouldn't fit into the model of addiction, okay. Okay. Um, so I suppose what I'm doing is looking at people in. I suppose I, I was part of a team that started SALT about five years ago. SALT is Sex and Love Therapy. And its foundation was around sex addiction because I, I came from an addiction. And it, it wouldn't exactly fit with the, with the idea of what you have of addiction. Okay. Um, most people are very avoidant of sex and relationships. And other people are more compulsive to having sexual behaviors. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So in terms of, so I haven't heard of the idea of being avoidant of sex, having anything to do with sex addiction. I actually, the only times I hear about sex addiction is when, um, when somebody's in the news actually, and they're after obviously behaving compulsively and, and have impacted their relationship. So, what is it that the avoidant kind of brings up for people then? Like, how does that look? How would I know that I should consider this if I was avoidant? Um, I suppose people, people getting into relationships are, are looking for relationships. Um, and then when they're in them, wanting out of relationships. So really, it's, it's about an attachment style. Um, it's, it's an avoidant attachment style. And I suppose people will get married they will some people will actually avoid sex completely or any sexual contact or any kind of any any 
anything that might lose to sex, uh, they'll completely avoid us. They feel uh, quite a bit of shame around us about uh, not being sexual. Um, I suppose it, it's very broad and it's very varied. Um, like I, I suppose I would have had clients who have been married but um, wouldn't have had sex in the marriage. Mm. If that kind of breaks it down a little for you. Yeah, no, I think that that's, you know? that's yeah, no, that's really important because I like the attachment style piece because I, I would come back to attachment a good bit actually in this podcast because that's kind of fundamental about how we interact. Um, but when we when I hear about sex addiction in the in the media, it's it's not about that. That's almost like a joke. Sometimes people say, "Oh, the sex stops once you get married." I don't know if you've heard that yeah. joke. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 So I suppose we've kind of normalized it a good bit then. It sounds like there might be things that we joke about and have normalized that could actually be challenges or issues that, that relate back to sex addiction for people. Exactly, exactly. I think we've normalized it and I think we've, how do I put it, I suppose made a joke of it um, mm. when for a lot of people it, it, isn't, it isn't a funny matter in any, in any way, shape or form for them. It's, um, it can be quite upsetting for a lot of people you know hmm. and in terms of the people who eventually you know will say sit in front of you because of sex addiction how are they finding their way to you so how are people actually finding their way into sitting with you to discuss this how does that usually come about that only really comes about by word of mouth um like i've never i suppose because I, i've been establishing myself for about five years and I suppose when I got up and running, the work took off. It's, it just took off itself, uh, word of mouth. Uh, I have no business cards, I have no brochures, I have no website. It's all been just word of mouth. And people mainly referring each other. Um, a lot of people might have other addictions and they would talk about it. Um, other people would come from other therapists. Other therapists, some, some therapists are quite good at referring um th that's mainly it okay okay so what i think is interesting is um that around the referral piece because you said some therapists are good i would imagine that there's many professionals like you know myself you know other coaches psychologists therapists who haven't actually linked some of the behaviors that their clients might allude to but not discuss to sex addiction so like these things come up indirectly all the time but we, we may not have the checklist, for want of a better word, to know that actually this fits into a category of sex addiction or at least to be assessed as sex addiction. Yeah, I suppose that, that's, a, that's a very good point. Look, I've had very recently in the last, I'd say, in three months, I'd say, I had a guy came to me, a professional man, very upset. He's, I think I was his fourth therapist. Um, he's, I suppose, he's not from Cork originally, but... He said he, he came very upset um, with what was going on in his marriage. And I was, what, he, what he said to me was, it was a big problem for him. Another therapist said, that's normal. No, it wasn't normal for him and it wasn't okay for him. Uh, so they, they just didn't get what was happening for him. Mm. Mm. You know? And, and I think, I think that's really important, Joel, even for other professionals listening now, you know, while, while individuals who, who might be curious themselves about it, there's something about the professionals 
realizing that while we might think something's normal because of our experience, because it's normal yeah. to us as professionals, yeah. the, if the client is describing that something doesn't fit for them, even if it's normal for us, we need to listen to what their, their, their response to their experience is because that response is what's golden, not our idea of what's normal. That's exactly it, Sheila. Um, you have to listen to the client and what they are saying. I suppose, like in salt, and when I'm working with clients, I don't, I don't kind of say what's right and what's wrong. Um, once they're not crossing over legal boundaries, mm. I, I'm really looking at kind of like when when a client comes in, I, I explain to them that you're going to have to define your own sobriety. So, what is sobriety for you? what is good sexuality, good sexual behavior, and what's not. Um, mm. And what's kind of in the middle, the gray area, things you're not sure about. Um, and that's really putting the whole lot back in them to see, like what I might see as normal, they might see as not normal. I suppose, look, it comes from their family background, their culture, their religion. Um, there's lots of variables you, you have to look at when you're looking at someone's sexual behavior, what's upsetting for them. Uh, and not to minimize what is upsetting for them. Oh, and I think, I think that's really important because the background that you're talking about, while they're very like the religion, you know, socialization and things with the way things are around sexuality in general, there, there isn't a, a very clear line, um, bar we'll say legal boundaries. Right. So, so we're all very clear on that, but outside of that, you know, what used to be considered normal by society now has evolved um and people may still be preferring yeah. the original traditional ideas or some people might prefer the evolved but not be ready for that so how people feel about what they're experiencing is really more important than the behaviors a lot of the time i would think in my work would that yeah. kind of resonate with how you'd work with it yeah okay exactly okay. exactly and even kind of what people are seeing as the norm these days um that norm is okay for a certain length of time but what, what i am noticing is like i suppose about 80 to 90 percent of my clients are, are males and it's not exactly aligning their behavior isn't aligning with what they want for themselves for the future mm. um so some of them would be single men some would be married men of all different ages uh, and it's it's them kind of deciding look yeah it, it was fun and it's seen as this and it's seen as kind of macho and all the men that are coming to me aren't I, I suppose it's not fitting with their image of themselves and how they want to see themselves in the future mm. Mm. so it's really an identity piece then so the behaviors are undermining like who they want to be and how they'd like yeah. to see themselves so like that's much bigger yeah. than just the actions you know while yeah i suppose yeah, that's an important point is the, the actions are, it's like any other addiction, say alcoholism, like alcohol is only two to three percent of the problem. Mm. It's the underlying issues are more of the problem. Um, again, like Paula Hall has, I train with Paula Hall in the UK and she has an oath model and she said, you can really look back at it. No, she said sex addiction. I would use this for all addictions where oath is opportunity, attachment and trauma. Yes. And people can... Like if you have the opportunity, which is now, again, um, social media, technology, um, trauma, again, going back to ACEs, um, I'd say all of my clients would have ACEs, probably mm. up to four or five and six. 
Um, so that's very relevant. And then their attachment style as well. Mm. Oh, I, I actually, I hadn't heard it out before. Sorry, Donald. Okay. I hadn't yeah. heard it out before. That's really good to think about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it, it removes shame. We're look, you're looking at what's, a, what's embodying the experience for someone, what's maintaining it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what was kind of the precursor to it, to go, to go along this road to sex addiction? Mm. Mm. So, okay. The so, sex really a very small piece of it. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the piece where it's very easy to to not consider sex addiction when you're see when you're not look when you're solely looking at sex, because there's yeah. we can justify and rework our our dialogue around what sex is or isn't and what's normal and what isn't. Yeah. But the impact yeah. is still the impact. Exactly. Okay. So and what what are they using the sex for? Oh, I love that. What are they using sex for? So, yeah. so what's the role of sex in their lives now as well? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, everyone yeah. listening can take that away. So every one of us listening to this can say, what is my relationship with sex in my life right now? That's a question everybody yeah. can ask themselves. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about when someone's gone through the process. Um, what, what are you seeing? And I don't mean at the end, cause I don't, like the end isn't the important part it's the process so during the process what are the what are the significant changes that help people know that that they're on the right path themselves what are the outcomes that they're experiencing on the journey let's say on the journey um i suppose the, the journey starts with the assessment um and people just figuring out i suppose what i try and do is like when somebody comes into me i'll have an initial meeting with them and sit down we'll see what's there um and can, can we help them work through it or is it couples council we, we look for something that we can help with um so i suppose what we try and do then is get them into a group format where they enter a group and that's generally to reduce shame uh, and that they feel like okay my behavior hasn't been normal and this is why it hasn't been normal but again working with a group you can see the group can help you point out what's normal, what's not normal, what's your part in your sexual behavior. Um, and then I suppose it's get, starting to get a sense as well of who am I in all of this, you know, mm. um, and what has been passed on to me and what do I want to leave behind? Does, does that answer that question, Sheila? It does. It does. So if I, if I was breaking that down that I was going to kind of explain it to someone based on what you said, it's, it's that, the, well, I love the idea that the group reduces the shame, which is what every group process really ideally, yeah. you know, yeah. why we do it in a group. So I love that. So you're getting to know that you're not the only person. You're also getting real conversations with others. So a better sense yeah. of what's really happening for you and happening yeah. for others. There's probably a bit of attachment work happening there. I'd imagine in a group there's Spot relating on. to yeah. others brilliant and then yeah. what what i hear you saying the big benefit is is getting choices over their behaviors but also over who they want to be yeah okay yeah. so so if someone is listening and they're sitting and they're saying i'm not sure if i have sex addiction i have a lot of shame um i i sometimes i think my behavior is okay sometimes i think it's not what what you're saying is that this process if they enter it if if they pass the assessment as the beginning point can offer them a chance yeah. to be much clearer on all of those things. Exactly. Okay. Okay. 
it sounds like a process everyone should go through. So no, like bar the sex addiction, like that whole process sounds really healing. It is. It is. And it's very, I suppose, it, it, it helps people mature as well as adults around their own, their own sexual identity. Mm. You know, um, and I suppose I, I wouldn't be very much tied to the, the title addiction. Mm. Um, I, I don't ask anybody, I'd say, look, yeah, you can show signs of it's addictive. Your behavior is addictive. But I'm, I'm very conscious that I, I wouldn't like to be putting a, a label on anybody that they're a sex addict. So they can call mm. it, I, I have an intimacy, intimacy disorder. Um, I'm sexually avoidant. I'm sexually compulsive. It's whatever they take out of the assessment themselves. Um, that they're not stuck with a label for the rest of their lives that I'm a sex addict. And I think you know. Donald, that's so important. So if somebody wants to come and talk to you, it's not about going and being labeled as, as this or that. It's actually about going and identifying the behavior that's working or not working for them. Exactly. Exactly. And that because it's related to sex, it's direct, the, the assessment is directly related to, like you said, the opportunity attachment and trauma. It's related to how they're experiencing themselves sexually. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, Okay, so if I was to ask you for three kind of three pieces of advice or three recommendations for either individuals listening who are unsure or professionals listening saying, how do I, how do I know when to suggest a referral or to add like another person into the mix of working with this individual? Either, either way now you can advise the individual or the professional or both. What would you say to people listening? I think the first thing is uh, for professionals ask the question and then listen to the answer um, try and have some comfort around your own sexuality and I suppose what it brings up for you when you are asking the question um, I know myself from a lot of experience working with other professionals they're just not comfortable ask, asking about people's sexual behaviour mm. um, I got very, very few of my clients have been asked by their therapists or other healthcare professionals about their sexual behavior. Um, another thing is, I suppose, kind of find comfort in that there is help out there for you. You know, there is people going through similar experiences. And mm. so it's kind of, of digging, digging that little bit deeper to find courage within yourself to go and ask for help. Um, and I, I suppose that's about it, Sheila. Really. Okay, know? okay. So, Don, what I am going to do is your 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 details will be in the show notes, so people can reach out to you directly. Um, yeah. are you happy with individuals and professionals reaching out to you from listening to the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to summarise that before we finish. So, for professionals to start asking the question, like we do any other topic. Yeah. ask the question if, it, if, it, if it's relevant find comfort in our own sexuality so that we're able to hold the space while someone names their experience of theirs exactly yeah. to feel, so we can also feel comfort in the fact that there is help so we can ask the question yeah. knowing that we can refer on and then exactly. I hear that for the individual as well that there is to know that there is help so you don't have to fear this challenge you can actually access help for it yeah that's it okay. Um, and just people even just to ring and see, like, I suppose we have a lot of tools that we give people even in other types of recovery from other addictions. 
to help with their relationships. Um, so they might just want to come and see kind of what's a healthy relationship and what isn't a healthy relationship. Um, there's also parts like codependency, mm. and I suppose one part is really coming up more more with men is an extreme codependency, which would be more of a love addiction where they really are looking for a healthy relationship, just mm. for people to note that as well. Yeah, that's you know? and I think that's important. So knowing that while what you're talking about sex addiction is really that connection that that mm-hmm. that that sexual identity but that it actually can also play out in in how people are relating and yeah. that you don't have to come and necessarily say oh i think i have a sex addiction you can come and say my relationships aren't working for me in the way i'd like or i'm not sure can we look at yes. this okay yeah okay. yeah brilliant that's so, exactly it brilliant okay so i love that so thank you very much donal i appreciate it um and hopefully I might get you on again to talk about something else because you're, in, you're involved in a couple of interesting things. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, I am. yeah. Okay. love the work. Excellent. Okay, thanks a million. Take care. Brilliant. Thanks, Sheila. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Tilted Podcast and I'm your host, Sheila Walsh. If you'd like to sponsor The Tilted Coaching Podcast, simply pop over to patreon.com slash tiltedcoaching and sponsor the podcast for as little as a cup of coffee a month. If I didn't say it correctly, pop over to the link in the bio, visit the Patreon page and become a sponsor. Thanks a million.